AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 92 of AFF On Air. It's the 3rd of September 2022. In this episode, we'll take a deep dive into the Star Alliance Round the World Award offered by the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer Program. For just 280,000 Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer miles, plus taxes of course, you can fly around the world with this award with up to seven stopovers across the Star Alliance network. It's a great deal, but booking one of these does take quite a bit of work and there are some catches. So later in the episode, I'll speak to someone who's booked three of these awards this year using his Chris Flyer miles. Even if you don't have any Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer miles, keep in mind that you can transfer points to Chris Flyer from both the Virgin Australia Velocity programs and from any Australian credit card rewards program. So you might still be able to take advantage of this round the world award. That's coming up, but first let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And Qantas will return to New York from June next year, operating three weekly Boeing 787 flights via Auckland in New Zealand. Qantas has also announced an upgrade to its lounges at Auckland Airport, which will be combined to create a new Qantas International Lounge. In around a year from now, Qantas will also build a new business lounge at Adelaide Airport and upgrade the existing Qantas Club and Chairman's Lounge in Adelaide as well. These announcements came last week on the same day that Qantas announced a $1.86 billion underlying loss before tax for the 2021-22 financial year and also a $400 million share buyback. Qantas announced improvements to staff travel as well last week. Ahead of the financial results announcement, Qantas CEO Alan Joyce released a video apologising to customers for the chaos of the last few months and offered various gifts to customers. One of these was a $50 voucher that can be used on a new Qantas return booking, although there are a few catches associated with this. Mr Joyce also announced that silver, gold, platinum and platinum one frequent flyers with status due to expire between now and June next year will receive another automatic status tier extension regardless of if they take any Qantas flights. Silver and gold members have received a couple of lounge invitations as well, while platinum and platinum one members have been given some bonus frequent flyer points. Platinum and platinum one members with a membership year ending between January and June seem to have been given 15,000 points, while people with a membership year ending between July and December in the second half of the year have been given 30,000 points. And finally, Qantas released additional classic flight reward seats on many routes the next day um, as part of the apology. Now, the apology would have perhaps been a bit better received if the Qantas website did not crash the next day, leaving frequent flyers unable to log into their accounts for about six hours, uh, meaning they couldn't accept their vouchers or book any of those extra classic flight reward seats when they first became released, but that was rectified later in the day. The requirement to wear a face mask on board domestic flights in Australia will be removed on the 9th of September. The mask mandate inside Australian airports was already removed several months ago, and this will also mean that masks are no longer required on various international flights in and out of Australia. 
Virgin Australia has reopened its premium lounge entry at Brisbane's domestic airport. It's now open between 5am and 10am on weekdays and can be accessed directly from the street outside the main Virgin terminal and the domestic terminal. The premium entry avoids having to queue up to clear security inside the main terminal and it's available to Virgin Australia business class, gold and platinum guests as well as gold and platinum members of Virgin's partner airlines. There's still no reopening date, though, for Virgin's premium entry at Sydney Airport. In some more good news, Velocity Gold and Platinum members are now entitled to lounge access when flying with Virgin's partner airline Air Canada. Access to Air Canada Maple Leaf lounges is available when flying on any Air Canada-operated and marketed flight, but lounge access is not available at airports where Air Canada uses third-party lounges, including in Sydney and Brisbane. There are still no other status benefits available to Velocity members when flying on Air Canada either, so it's still really just a kind of a half-baked partnership at this point. Since 2021, Velocity members can earn points and status credits and redeem points for Air Canada flights. United Airlines and Emirates have teased that they're planning to commence a new partnership. Who would have seen that coming? There are reports that this will be formally announced in just under two weeks, so we'll be watching this space for more details there. Thai Air Asia X will fly direct from Bangkok's Suvarnabhumi Airport to both Sydney and Melbourne from December. The A330 flights will run four times a week to Sydney and three days a week on the other three days to Melbourne. AirAsia X, based in Malaysia, also already announced uh, recently that it will resume flights from Kuala Lumpur to several Australian cities in November. But this is the first time that Thai AirAsia X, which is a different company but also part of the AirAsia group, will fly to Sydney or Melbourne. Before the pandemic, Thai AirAsia X briefly flew from Bangkok's secondary airport to Brisbane. Finnair has increased the cost of its popular round-the-world fares in business class. Routings to Europe via North America are now significantly more expensive and domestic connections with these fares on Qantas now add quite a lot of extra money to the price. But Finnair's business class fares to Europe via Asia if you depart from an international gateway airport in Australia and the airlines around the world fares in economy and premium economy have actually decreased in price slightly. Lufthansa's special round the world fares in business class still remain a good alternative option. Optus has brought back its $99 Qantas promo plan for a limited time until the 5th of September, that's on Monday. If you sign up for this $99 a month plan and keep it active for at least three months, you'll receive 60,000 bonus Qantas points. Qantas is trialling a new initiative that allows customers on select flights to reserve an empty neighbouring seat for an additional fee, starting from around $30 on short domestic flights. The trial will be taking place over the next month and a half on seven Australian routes, including Sydney to the Gold Coast. Qantas customers eligible to reserve a neighbour-free seat will be emailed around 48 hours before departure, and it will be possible to purchase this up to one hour prior to departure via the invitation in the email. And Berlin's Brandenburg Airport has introduced a new concept that could save travellers quite a lot of time when clearing security. Anyone flying from Berlin Airport can now pre-reserve a time slot for free to clear security through a dedicated priority lane. The priority lane will be available to the person who's pre-reserved the time slot up to 10 minutes before or after the reserve time. And this service is available to customers on any airline. You just need to pre-book online. This helps the airport manage the flow of passengers through the security checkpoint by you know, spreading them out during the day. 
And also, it's a great thing for passengers because they can then guarantee that they're not going to be waiting more than five or ten minutes to clear security. This concept already exists at some airports in the United States under various names, but this is the first time we've seen something like this in Europe. If the concept proves successful, it could find its way to more airports around the world, which surely is only a good thing. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Many of our listeners will probably be already aware of the Qantas One World Classic Flight Reward, the multi-city award that lets you fly up to 35,000 miles on One World Airlines with up to five stopovers for 318,000 Qantas points in business class. Well, Singapore Airlines' Chris Flyer also offers its own version of this award, in a way, called the Star Alliance Round the World Award. This has different rules to the Qantas version. You do actually have to use it to fly around the world, unlike the Qantas Award, but it can be just as good, if not better, value. Joining me now on the podcast is someone who's booked three of these awards this year and has already flown two of them, and he's also our regular travel agent guest, Alan Lamb, who's Mad Rooster on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. Welcome back, Alan. Thanks, Matt. So before we get started, I just want to let our listeners know, I guess, how this award works. Like, what are the what are the rules that apply to it? So it's a Star Alliance Around the World Award. So as the name suggests, you can use this award to fly around the world on Star Alliance Airlines, including Singapore Airlines and the other 25 or so Star Alliance Airlines. The rules are, are reasonably straightforward. Um, you get up to 16 flight segments in total with a maximum of seven stopovers of more than 24 hours. You can have a maximum of two stopovers in any single country. Surface sectors are allowed. You get a maximum, uh, you can travel a maximum of 35,000 miles in total, including the distance covered by any surface sectors. If your itinerary includes more than one class of travel, the entire itinerary is priced according to the higher cabin. You have to start and end in the same country, although it doesn't have to necessarily be in the same city. You could start in Melbourne and then end in Brisbane, for example. If you have any flights through the US, it's not possible to include any stops in Cuba in the itinerary, and you have to travel in a continuous eastbound or westbound direction, crossing both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans exactly once each. So those are the, those are the basic rules of this award. Now, you can uh, include any flights that are available but have award availability on Star Alliance Airlines, and including SQ. Uh, Singapore Airlines, but if you are using Singapore Airlines flights, there does need to be confirmable saver availability. So if it's waitlisted or it's a, a seat's only available as an advantage award, you can't use that. And the pricing is uh, is pretty good value. So after the changes to award pricing back in July, it's two hundred thousand Chris Flyer miles plus taxes for economy class. In business class, it's two hundred and eighty thousand Chris Flyer miles plus taxes, and in first class, it's four hundred and five thousand Chris Flyer miles plus taxes. If you have Virgin Australia Velocity points, you can transfer those to Singapore Airlines Chris Fly Miles at a rate of 1.55 Velocity points to one Chris Fly Mile. So that works out to be 310,000 Velocity points for economy, 434,000 Velocity points for business class, and 627,750 Velocity points for first class. And I mean, the pick of the bunch there would really be business class in terms of value. Now, Alan, you've booked three of these this year in business class. What routings did you book? What, what was it that you booked for each of your trips? 
so I flew from Sydney to Singapore. I uh, had a couple of days in Singapore and I uh, flew down on Singapore Airlines. Uh, and then I flew from Singapore to Tokyo, Tokyo to London on ANA. I then had a week in London. Uh, then I flew from uh, London to Frankfurt uh, to Nuremberg on Lufthansa. Then I flew from Nuremberg to Vienna to Innsbruck on Austrian. Uh, Innsbruck, Vienna, Vienna to Montreal uh, on Austrian, connecting to Montreal to Quebec City on Air Canada. And then I had an open jaw from Quebec City to Toronto. Uh, and then I flew on Air Canada again from Toronto to Calgary. I had another couple of days in Calgary, uh, that was also on Air Canada, and I flew from uh, Calgary to San Francisco, also on uh, Air Canada. I had a week and a half in San Francisco, and then I flew back to Australia on United uh, for San Francisco to Seattle, and then Seattle, Singapore on SQ, and then Singapore, uh, Sydney on SQ. Okay, so that was the first trip. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like a great trip. So you got some flights, uh, so you flew to Europe and then over to uh, North America and back, back to Australia using a mixture of Star Alliance Airlines there. Um, what about the second trip? Uh, on the second trip, I flew out of Brisbane. Uh, so I went Brisbane, Singapore, Ho Chi Minh City on Singapore Airlines, connecting to ANA for uh, Ho Chi Minh City, Tokyo, Tokyo, New York. It sounds a bit roundabout, but that's because I couldn't get much availability and it was fairly last minute. Um, so then I spent some time in the US um, and I had an open door from New York to Chicago. And then I flew on Air Canada from Chicago to Toronto to Dublin. I had about two weeks in Europe, uh, and then I flew out of London on Lufthansa, London, Frankfurt, Marseille. I uh, had some time in Marseille, and then I went from um, Marseille to Addis Ababa to Johannesburg on Ethiopian. Um, spent some time in South Africa, and then I flew out of Cape Town, and I flew Cape Town, Singapore, Brisbane on Singapore Airlines. Oh, great. That sounds like a good trip, especially the... Um I'll be interested uh, to hear a little bit later about uh, a couple of those flights. Um, and then you've you've also got another trip coming up, which you've already booked but haven't flown yet, which is uh, another round-the-world itinerary. What was that one look like? For the third trip, I'm going. Uh, out, I'm flying out of Sydney. I'm going Sydney, Singapore, Amsterdam on Singapore Airlines. Got some time in Europe and then um, flying out of Paris on Lufthansa. So Paris, Frankfurt, uh, Venice. Got some time in Venice. Then I'm going uh, Venice, Vienna, London on Austrian, London, Brussels, on Brussels Airlines, connecting to Swiss Air for Brussels, Zurich. Now I've got some time in Zurich. Uh, then I'm going uh, Zurich, Warsaw on Swiss Air, connecting to Lot Polish for Warsaw to Newark. I've got some time in New York, and then I'm going uh, Newark to Los Angeles on United. I've uh, got some time in LA, and then um, flying out of San Francisco, I'm going San Francisco, Singapore, Brisbane on Singapore Airlines. Okay. For that, um, like from New York to Los Angeles on United, is that in business class? Because I know it's been notoriously hard to find, uh, you know, United water availability around the US. I know that's an economy. I mean, uh, it's wishful thinking to get business, I suppose, on United. And uh, even finding economy space on that route was uh, terribly difficult. Uh, That that particular flight is on a Saturday in the evening. uh, So it's already sort of not exactly popular (laughs) time. And that was the only flight I could basically get. Okay. And all the rest is in business class. Correct. Okay, great. So, yeah, so that's that's three really good examples of the kind of thing you can do with the Chris Flyer Star Alliance Around the World Award. Was it tricky to find award availability on, you know, we talked just, just before about the United League, but on just generally in business class? 
it's been a varying experience throughout the year. Um, my first one, which uh, first trip was, which was February, March, um, that one I booked um, only two weeks out before departure. And, and that was quite easy to actually find availability on almost uh, everything because back then, um, you know, we had just come out of Omicron and, you know, the world was only slowly just opening up. You know, you still needed COVID tests, you know, on, on that particular trip, for example, I uh, ended up doing six COVID tests. Uh, across that whole five-week itinerary, there's still not a lot of tourism going on, so a lot of flights are very empty, and so it was quite easy to find availability back then. Virtually every single route that I wanted had open, open like quite open space, you know, four seats, nine seats, loads. Right. Things have changed, though, haven't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so since then, uh, the second itinerary, which I flew in uh, late May to June, uh, that one was uh, substantially harder to find availability, even though I booked that one about two weeks out. Um, I could still get a reasonable amount of uh, availability, but um, you know, I had to I had, couldn't be couldn't be too picky and choosy on that one. As, you know, as, as uh, you may have noted from the bit of a detour to get to New York from, uh, at the very start, going um, Brisbane, Singapore, Ho Chi Minh City, Tokyo, New York, and, uh, that is a bit of a round you know, round the world trip on its own. Fast forward to the third trip, uh, that was substantially harder because you know the world was really opening up uh, at that point, and that one was booked back in um, May, just before I left on the second trip. Uh, and that one is much harder to find uh, all the availability that, that I needed. Yeah. On some of those trips, you've got quite a few sort of short sectors around Europe. I've got, I've got two questions about that. Firstly, uh, how does it work with the backtracking rules? Because you, you are sort of bouncing around Europe on some of those legs. But that, that's okay, right? Because you, you're not um, crossing between continents, right? So the backtracking rule is actually an IATA rule, um, and IATA is the governing body for airlines. Um, so essentially, the rule is that the world is divided into three areas, so an area one, area two, area three. So area one is basically North America, South America. Area two is uh, Europe and Africa plus uh, Middle East. And area three is Asia and Australia, New Zealand, and the various islands in, you know, in between. Uh, and then Russia is basically split in half. The, part, uh, the western half is uh, basically in area two and the eastern half is in area three. So the backtracking rule essentially uh, means that you cannot go from one area to another and then back to an area you've already visited. So if, you've, if you're going from area uh, Australia, which is area three, and then you are going to the US, which is area one, you then have to continue eastbound to area two and you can't go, say, area three to area one and back to area three. And... For those uh, sectors around Europe, I mean, so obviously because this is a fixed price award, as long as you meet the, the you know, the routing rules, it's 280,000 Chris fly miles in business class, but you do still have to pay, you know, the, the taxes and the fill surcharges on each of the flights. So when you're flying around Europe, is it actually worth including these as part of the award or are you actually ending up paying more in fill surcharges than, than you would if you just bought a ticket? There's no straight answer on that one, uh, but the... Uh, Lufthansa Group, so uh, that's Lufthansa, Austrian, uh, Brussels Airlines, Swiss Airlines as well. On those carriers, uh, each sector, uh, it's not – so if you're going, say, in my case, uh, Paris, Frankfurt, Venice, each sector is actually uh, uh, le- levied a 50 euro uh, fuel surcharge. And so, you know, you can imagine that's already quite a substantial amount. That's before you include the airport taxes and government taxes. Mm. Uh, so – in some cases, but not all cases, uh, you know, if you're flying a fairly expensive route, it will be worth it. Uh, if it's a route that's quite competitive, often has cheap fares, then you may find that it's actually cheaper to pay for just an economy cash ticket instead of uh, including these on the award. Unless you really want to fly business class on, you know, Euro business. Uh, if that's your thing, then fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've certainly uh, done my fair share of flights around Europe. For, there were, I mean, the whole ticket price was under 50 euros on EasyJet or Eurowings or, or whichever airline. 
Um, one, one nice thing though about flying business class, particularly if you don't have status, is of course then you still get the lounge access and you get a higher baggage allowance and things like that. So maybe for some people it'll be worth it. Yes, and if you are, if you are certainly flying a you know, a lengthy itinerary like I did back in February March, you know you may have quite a uh, quite a fair amount of baggage. Um, you know, particularly winter, for example, where you might be going skiing or, or you know or uh, other activities like that, where you will have you know a second bag, for example. So that extra baggage allowance may well be worth it on its own, considering that um, you, know, you could be paying. 50 euros for an extra bag, for example. Yeah. So speaking of fuel surcharges and taxes, so obviously, yeah, you do have to pay those in addition to the miles. Uh, how much are we talking for an itinerary like the kind of one that you've booked? Total? Yeah. Uh, so the February to March trip, I paid 1,500 Australian dollars. Um, the second trip, I paid 1,200. And the third trip, which is coming up, uh, I paid 1,300. Okay. That seems uh, fairly reasonable for, for what you get. It is a business class around the world itinerary, of course. Obviously, the amount of taxes and carrier charges depends, though, on the on the itinerary, which airports you're flying through, and in particular, which airlines you're flying, because um, some airlines have a lot higher fuel and carrier surcharges than others. What are some of the better airlines to use to get lower surcharges? And also, I guess, conversely, which airlines should you be avoiding if you want to reduce the amount of fuel surcharges you're paying? Uh, for Trans-Pacific, ANA is one to avoid now, um, which is um, interesting, actually, because the uh, on my first trip, I basically paid... Uh, no, almost no fuel surcharges on ANA, uh, but since then, because of um, the Russian war and so forth, um, the fuel surcharge on ANA has actually increased very substantially. So now it's actually a couple hundred dollars. Uh, so they're now they're now a bit, bit of one to avoid. Um, Singapore Airlines has no fuel surcharges at all. Uh, so both Trans-Pacific, Transatlantic, uh, or any SQ sector really. Uh, Air Canada is not too bad if you can get space out of Australia, but it's quite tough to get space. Uh, United. I believe on Trans-Pacific, I've never tried this, but I, I believe Trans-Pacific uh, has quite a substantial fuel surcharge if you are going around the world. Uh, for Transatlantic, the, you've got quite a few choice of uh, carriers. Uh, you've got Austrian and Lufthansa, Brussels Airlines, Swiss Air, TAP Portugal, uh, Scandinavian Airlines, United, Turkish, lot Polish, so you, uh, and Air Canada. So you've got quite a few cho- uh, choice of airlines across the Atlantic. Um, fuel surcharge vary quite significantly. Uh, Scandinavian Airlines has no fuel surcharges at all. So they're, they're great if you can find something on them. Uh, on the opposite end, United is the most expensive. You expect you're expecting to pay about five hundred US dollars um, just for one flight across the Atlantic. There, the other ones in the middle, the Lufthansa Group, uh, they they're fairly reasonable. Their their fuel surcharge is around two hundred euros for the long haul leg. Uh, so that applies to Austrian Lufthansa, uh, Brussels Airlines, Swiss Air, uh, TAP Portugal is pretty similar as well, around that two hundred euros mark. Uh, Turkish is also around that 200 US, uh, sorry, they're about 200 US dollars actually. So um, they're a little bit dearer. Um, another, a good one across the Atlantic is actually Lot Polish, um, which is why I'm flying them in uh, September. Uh, their fuel surcharge is only 60 US dollars. So apart from Scandinavian, they're, they're the next cheapest. I guess it also comes down to where you can get availability though. Like I look at availability all the time and I found that TAP um, often has reasonable availability and also Singapore Airlines on their fifth freedom flight from New York JFK to Frankfurt, uh, which has no fuel surcharges. But if you can, if you can get, so if you can get Singapore Airlines, if you can get uh, SAS, which has no fuel surcharges, a lot that sounds pretty good too. Well, there's actually also also another Singapore Airlines route. Uh, mm. There's also the Manchester to Houston route as oh, well. Of course, Again, yeah. There's no fuel surcharges on uh, Singapore Airlines, so both routes are quite good. Uh, often you can find availability as well, so that, yeah, that's another really good option too. North America, um, Air Canada does, doesn't charge any fuel surcharge on their uh, domestic or uh, transported to the US, and neither does United. So if you can find any space on uh, either of those carriers, then you know, 
think she can save a few hundred dollars off her by not having to pay for a cash ticket on uh, on that. Uh, moving to Africa, um, Ethiopian uh, has no fuel surcharges, and I, uh, apologies, I'm not sure what uh, Egypt Air charges, unfortunately. So you mentioned Ethiopian Airlines, and you flew Ethiopian Airlines on your last trip from Marseille to Addis Ababa and then down to Johannesburg. Uh, what was it like flying Ethiopian Airlines in business class? I've, I haven't tried them in business class before. Um, I mean, if, look, if you're comparing to something like Singapore Airlines, then you probably will be disappointed. But you know, if you keep your expectations reasonable, um, then it, it, look, it's perfectly fine as a means of transportation. From Marseille to Addis Ababa, I had a 787. Um, unfortunately, I had the angled the angled flat uh, seats on that. Um, not overly comfortable. And I think, if, to be honest, if you're anything taller than about 1.7 metres, uh, which is really not that tall at all, um, you probably would find it a bit uncomfortable for an overnight journey. I was supposed to have the exact same seat for the Addis Ababa Johannesburg as well, but uh, they swapped it out um, to one of their brand new A350s that actually has the reverse herringbone seat, uh, the super diamond seat. So that was quite good, actually, um, quite spacious um, and yeah, decent product. The catering was look, it was fine for what it was on on um, the both sectors. Uh, the second sector from Addis Ababa to Johannesburg was probably better. Uh, being out of their home port, they served a lot of uh, tra- traditional Ethiopian food. Yeah, so it was, it was interesting to try some uh, Ethiopian cuisine. Yeah, what was the transit like in Addis Ababa? Um, look, no different to any any other transit, I suppose. Um, uh, a security screening, everyone was required to take their shoes off, um, much like the US. Um, mm. So that was a bit of a surprise in Africa. I've never had to do that in Africa before. Um, otherwise, the lounge is fine. You know, it, it, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of food options in the lounge. I have to admit. Uh, and I, I did go into the other lounge that uh, Star Alliance Gold's going to as well. Limited catering, but fine for you know like a two-hour transit. Okay, yeah, I've, I've flown Ethiopian Airlines once, just on one of their Fifth Freedom flights from Bangkok to Kuala Lumpur. I think it was on a like one of their older seven six sevens, and I actually really enjoyed the experience um, in economy class. Um, the, the I thought the catering was really good. The crew was really nice. A bit of an older plane, but um, it was all. It was all quite nice. The one, the one thing I found a bit weird, though, was that they played sort of traditional Ethiopian music over the loudspeaker for the entire flight, um, which is um, not something I've experienced before. They didn't do that on your flight, did they? No, I didn't have that on either of my flights, thankfully, <laughs> particularly with one being an overnight flight. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a bit strange. Nice music, though. Um, now, how do you actually uh, book one of these awards? Does I, uh, you know, this, is, this is obviously something that can't be done online, right? Yeah, correct. That's um, the Singapore Airlines website. Unfortunately, doesn't um, well. Most of the carriers don't even show up on the, the Singapore Airlines um, award availability search. Uh, so you often have to uh, use multiple websites to uh, search for availability, and then you'll need to call up and um, to make the booking over the phone. Okay, and then I guess it makes it a lot easier for yourself if you check to see what's available before you call up. You know, using maybe the United website or, or um, for the Singapore Airlines flights using the Singapore Airlines website, and just making sure you're familiar with the rules as well. That's correct. Yeah. So um, the three websites I use with Singapore Airlines, uh, United and Air Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a bit like the same, similar to the Qantas award, where you you know you might be using the BA website, the Qantas website, as well as the Japan Airlines website, for example. Did you come across many issues with uh, with making the booking? And, and then also, like, uh, you know, during your trip, did you have any problems um, of note? Uh, the first trip back in February, uh, February, March, um, Austrian did cancel one of my flights and they uh, opted to not operate the route completely. Uh, so that was Nuremberg to Vienna. They um, cancelled that route comp- completely and then I had to reroute back through Frankfurt. So I ended up having to go to Nuremberg, Frankfurt, Vienna, Innsbruck on that one. 
Um, so then I had to um, get that ticket reissued, which re- reasonably straightforward, but um, took a bit of time on the phone uh, because I had to find you know, find a supervisor to help out um, with reissuing the ticket. The second trip, Singapore Airlines had not ticketed uh, my booking in time. And so I actually had to move to Brisbane, Singapore later in order to make the trip work because of the fact that they hadn't ticketed before the first flight. That's pretty uh, bad. So that was a, How many days yeah, in bad. advance did you actually make the booking? Uh, I made the original booking probably about two weeks prior. And then um, I had been harassing them to ticket the booking for couple of days at least um, prior to the first flight so they, they had more than adequate time really and this this is something that should really only take you know, no more than about 30 minutes to sort out uh, if if the bookings are already com- in a completed you know state ready to ticket you know it should really not take any longer than 30 minutes to sort out yeah we've, we've had problems with Qantas not ticketing award bookings but so Singapore Airlines is also um, having some issues with this yes uh, although admittedly no, nowhere near as bad badly as Qantas now, in episode 88 of this podcast, I had on Aaron Wong from the Singapore-based frequent flyer blog, MileLine. He's an expert on all things Chris Flyer. And in our interview, he said uh, that he wasn't a big fan of this award. I'll, I'll just um, just replay what he said. There's a lot of rules, right? And here's the thing. Because a round-the-world ticket is a fixed price under the Chris Flyer system, the incentive for you is obviously to make it as complicated as possible to maximize your value, right? Obviously, someone flying A to B to C to A doesn't get as much value as A to B to C to D to et cetera, et cetera, back to A. So, but the more complex you make your itinerary, the more likely it is that you run afoul of one of these rules. And uh, beyond that, there was also the issue that Singapore Airlines has a policy that partially used tickets cannot be changed at all. So what does that mean, right? If you have a partially used ticket, for a round-the-world ticket, let's say it's uh, it's six different legs. Once you fly the first leg, by right, you cannot change any of the other legs. So if your plans change or if something happens, you want to fly out earlier or you want to fly out later, too bad. Everything is already locked in. I don't know how strictly they apply that rule because I have never actually booked one of these tickets before. But a simple reading of that clause means that you have to be 100% sure of all of your plans which, you know, as your itinerary gets more and more complicated, there's more potential for things to potentially go, go wrong. What are your thoughts on that, Alan? Um, I, I mean, well, my first two were booked fairly last minute, so my plans were fairly sort of solid by then. Um, and so uh, making, making my plans work around uh, availability and itinerary, I guess, was not too difficult, um, considering I knew what I was going to uh, be going to or doing. Um, the third trip, uh, was more a case of finding availability because it's substantially harder to find availability, um, and then making the plans work within the working within the trip. I think it's po- perfectly possible to make um, you know, make good use of these awards. Um, so I, I don't really agree with that, those comments um, simply because you know I guess you know, if you're flexible in the first place and you come in with a fresh mindset of find the availability first, uh, book your ticket, and then make your plans work within that, then you'll be fine. And you know I, I've done plenty of the Qantas. Um, one world awards as well and again I, I, I used to fly those basically yearly and it's basically the same mindset you go in find the availability um make your plans work within that and and go with that um and it generally works out fine uh you know by all means you would obviously want to have travel insurance cover um you know if something goes wrong or um you know you've got to cut your short the trip short or you know, I don't know, you break a leg somewhere in between you know if you went skiing for example um, these are things you would absolutely want to make sure you're covered by travel insurance by. Um, you know, particularly, you want to ensure your travel insurance cover would cover you for um, you know, flying you back home, for example, if you've got to cut the trip short. 
because the award definitely will not let you do that. Yeah, no, I was going to ask a question about that because it, it, the award lets you, like, before you've started the trip, you can make changes. It's 50 US dollars for voluntary changes. And you can also cancel for a full refund of the points and taxes minus 75 US dollars before you started the trip. But once you have actually taken that first flight, unless there's a, you know, like a, a, one of the flights gets cancelled or something by the airline or there's an involuntary change, you can't actually make any changes to the itinerary. Um, so it, it is quite inflexible. Yes, that's true. And um, quite honestly, even the Qantas One World Award is uh, similarly uh, in, not that flexible either. You know, they, whilst they allow you to do date changes, um, you know, essentially the routing is, uh, is locked in once you've flown that first sector on a Qantas One World Award as well. Uh, so, you know, it's quite restrictive. And uh, once you've started your trip, chances are you probably won't find any award availability anyway to change to. Uh, so one way or another, irrespective of the rule restricting you from making changes in, in practice because of the lack of availability, you probably won't find anything to change to it regardless. Mm. Well, my final question is, um, like you obviously, you booked three of these in business class, not first class. I'm interested in, to, in why you didn't book first class. Do you think it would actually be possible to do that? And do you think it would be reasonable value? I honestly think it's it's not really worth it in first class. Um, and, and that's purely because the number of routes that actually have first class um, in Star Alliance is far and few. Uh, and a lot of those are on Singapore Airlines, for example. And Singapore Airlines uh, is incredibly tough to find saver availability on, which is what you would need for this award. Mm. Uh, so that coupled with a lack of first class in general and also the fact that Swiss Air, yeah, Swiss Air don't release any first class to partner carriers in Star Alliance. Mm. Uh, and yeah, you know, Lufthansa only releases first class 14 days out. So again, unless you're booking these very last minute, like I was for the first two trips, and that was only purely because you know there was plenty of availability, hardly anyone was traveling, and so forth. Um, I, I think to make the stars align for making good use of first class on one of these awards is probably pretty difficult. Um, unless you were for some reason be able to find um, Singapore Airlines saver space in first class uh, for most of your trip. You know, if you were able to do something like that, then um, it might be okay. Mm. It's pretty restrictive in terms of the number of routes that have it. Yeah, I can't think of. I mean, most of the Star Alliance carriers don't even have a first class cabin anymore. And like, if I think about Lufthansa, for example, they have very good first class, but they only usually release seats to partner airlines around two weeks in advance. So unless you're booking mm-hmm. at the last minute, I mean, it would be really, really quite tricky. Yeah, you really only have, um, you know, your Singapore Airlines. Uh, I think the main ones to look at really are Singapore Airlines, ANA, uh, and ANA only have it on their triple sevens, uh, for that matter, mm-hmm. which they don't fly to Australia. Correct. Uh, and um, so mainly you'd be, you know, Tokyo to US routes or um, Tokyo to Europe, for example, where you might find a ANA triple seven in order to get the first class. That said, their first class is a very good product. So, I mean, you know, it, uh, it's a great way to fly, uh, pardon the pun. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, you really just have Lufthansa, uh, sorry, Lufthansa, ANA and Singapore Airlines to play with as far as first class routes in, in Star Alliance. And, you know, it's the same in One World. It's not like One World's any better in that regard either. There's very limited first class routes with them as well. So it's the exact same exact same proposition there too yeah well alan lamb thank you very much for joining me once again on the podcast and yeah really interesting to have a chat about the star alliance around the world award thanks again hope you enjoyed that interview the star alliance around the world award really is a great product um, but it's just one of many things you can do with the singapore airlines chris flyer program which is one of my personal favorite frequent flyer programs out there if you'd like to learn more about Chris Flyer, be sure to tune into my webinar next Wednesday evening, the 7th of September 2022, over at Frequent Flyer Solutions, which will be all about how Australians can take advantage of the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program. 
To find out more or to register for this webinar, head over to frequentflyer.com.au. And that's all for episode 92 of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Alan Lamb, for joining me on today's episode. And thank you very much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.